Good afternoon, everyone. You're welcome once again to Sportsline here on Scarlet Bay Community Radio in association with Dark Credit Union on the TuneIn app. And on today's show, we have a very special guest, not from Clare, but from the neighbouring county of Limerick. It's Joe Lyons, a former principal of Benny Brown National School, well known uh, for his work with Coming to Munskull in Limerick and in Munster. Also, better known maybe to more people. For the magazine he brings out there, uh, the Green and White Youth Magazine uh, for the GA in Limerick. And as always, I'm joined by co-presenter <coughs> Pat McNamara. And Pat is going to take care of this interview with Joe tonight. Oh, well, you can come in wherever you feel like it, uh, Leo. But first of all, Joe, uh, an old friend of mine, first of all, you're very welcome. And thanks for coming out to Sportsline this afternoon. Me, Lamar, to uh, Joe, tell you, I'll tell you to start. First of all, Leo, we must uh, uh, insist that Le- uh, Joe is a very proud Kerryman from Castle Island, first of all. <laughs> But I suppose he has spent probably two-thirds, if not three-quarters of his life in Limerick. And uh, obviously, uh, as well as that, as you mentioned correctly, Leo, um, coming to Munskull, I suppose, is probably the greatest movement, one of the greatest movements involved in the GA, you know, because it's, it's getting the children young, keen and interested and in playing the games and getting the love of the games and being inspired to play later on and, and all of that kind of thing. So Joe knows coming to Munskull in Munster and Limerick and, and indeed Ireland inside out. So we'll discuss that as well. Joe, uh, first of all, we'll start... Um, you, you, you started your life in Castle Island, and I suppose grow, growing up there, um, it was mainly lore of Kerry, Kerry Greats and football, but you also had a, a great interest in hurling as well. I did indeed. Pat, I was very lucky that my uncle-in-law was a fierce GA follower. He followed hurling just as much as he followed football. And every Sunday during the summer, he'd arrive at our front door, hoot the horn, and we'd jump into the back of his Volkswagen, and we'd go off to Tullis, or Kalani, or Gaelic Rounds, or Ennis, or wherever. So we got a great grounding in holding, got to see all the greats in the 70s and 80s. The first holding match I was ever at was the Munster final in 1971 between Limerick and Tipperary. Tipperary won at 4.16 to 3.18, and that was the day of the famous dry ball That's that right. Donny Neal and threw it in, and it was, it was a, a memorable game. And I think and I heard you saying in our earlier days in Mary I many, many moons ago, that you had a, a kind of a fancy for Tipperary holding as a young fellow. <laughs> I did indeed, yep. I did indeed. From that day on, I had a fierce interest in Tipperary holding. But I suppose once I started working in Limerick, my loyalties changed. Naturally, and, and we'll talk about that now in some detail coming shortly. Just before I leave the, the Kerry, your, your Kerry days, um, you would have heard fantastic stories about the real greats of Kerry, of Kerry football down through the decades. Who, who are the, the names that kind of shine out from from before your own time, but you would have heard all the older guys talking about, and of course the records show that there were there were outstanding men in, in their in their time. Well, I suppose I was very fortunate that when I was in fourth class in national school, my teacher was a man called Dermot Hannifin, who played midfield for Kerry in 1953. So um, we had Kerry footballers all around us. Eamon O'Donoghue, the late Eamon O'Donoghue, was a vocational teacher in Castle Island, and he lived in he lived in Diggs up College Road, where all the schools were. So every day on my way to school. We passed Eamon O'Donoghue on his way down to the vocational Eamon, school. Was that Eamon the full-back? <coughs> no, that was his brother, Paddy. Oh, Eamon was a wing forward. Wing forward, sorry. Yeah. And he was a um, will-o'-the-wisp wing forward, as they say. He was a very thoughtful kind of a player. He was a very intelligent player. And um, he actually, funny enough, started his inter-county career playing in goals for Kerry in the Munster final in 1967. And the following year, he played wing forward for Kerry in the All-Ireland final against Down. But I suppose when I was a young fella... Mick O'Connell was the legendary figure that towered above everybody else. And it was a, he, was, he was a hero of ours. It was brilliant to go to club matches and waiting to see Mick O'Connell come out to play with Waterville. Mick O'Dwyer, of course, on the same team as well. And they were our heroes. And one thing about Kerry football is that divisional football was really strong in those days. So back in the early 70s, county finals would be Mid-Kerry versus Shannon Rangers. Mid-Kerry would have Pauly Lynch and Brendan Lynch and Tom Prendergast and Pat Griffin. And Shannon Rangers would have Paulie Dunhoe and, and Eamon O'Dunhoe and the likes of Ogie Morden, very young. Ogie won a county championship playing wing-back for Shannon Rangers in 1972 when he was 16 years of age. So, you know, it was a, a very high standard football and not to be missed. And I suppose you, you have great memories of Croke Park uh, going to All-Ireland semi-finals and finals. They used, to, they used to say up in other parts of the country that the Kerry lads would often wait for the final. <laughs> but it was, an, it was another story. We often heard that for those from South Kerry and the remoter parts yeah, of Kerry, yeah. they, they weren't still halfway to Dublin by the time they got the Lyrics. So uh, I suppose you could understand not, not, not always travelling to semi-finals. But 
Petty Braun Brosnan and some of those other guys we often heard you talking about as well. You know that there were some greats even from the older days. And, and before we move on, you know that there were some great players from the back in the thirties and forties and fifties that are only known by by reputation. That's true. That's true. And I suppose the thing is that um, when I was at school, there was a boy in my class, and his grandfather played on the Kerry team in nineteen o three. So there was a link with the past always, you know, and that. Um, Dave Ganey from Castle Island played on the Kerry team in 1959 and you know there was great stories always of the players like Johnny Welch from Belly Longford who won four or five All-Ireland medals and my mother's first cousin was married to a man called Eddie Walsh from Nachnagoshal who won five All-Ireland medals so if we went out to Nachnagoshal to visit the cousins it was always a great treat to meet Eddie Welch who was probably the most modest man that ever walked he had eight daughters and one son Whoa. <laughs> a ladies football team there in the making if, if it was there at the time and Joe then I suppose during I was in Joe Joe and I were mm. in the same year in Mary Immaculate and uh, back in those years they coincided in the late 70s mm. with Kerry's brilliant run of Pat Spillane and Mikey Sheehy and, and Liston and all those so uh, we indeed were well reminded of how great Kerry were during those years and <laughs> with good reason of course so yeah. they were great times to be in college uh, with all the other guys you know from different counties and Kerry having this absolutely super team. That it, yes, it was, a, it was truly a golden year. There's no doubt about it. Um, <clears throat> I used to often have great fun with my Limerick friends when they'd be wondering, would Limerick ever again win in All-Ireland? And I'd say, well, I've seen Kerry win 15 All-Irelands at the moment. <laughs> so <laughs> there would be no hint of, of envy there. But um, no, it was, it was a, a wonderful time to be following Kerry football. There's no doubt about it. And there was a crop came along in 1975 in the minor team. And Kerry won the senior that year as well. And they stuck together. And one thing about Miko Dwyer, he got the very last ounce out of them. And it was another thing that never ceased to amaze me that Kerry won in All-Ireland in minor in 1962. They didn't win another one until 1975. And yet, in between, they won so many senior ones that people often think you have to have great minor teams coming up. But it's not strictly true. Not strictly. It helps, but it's not always the case. Definitely yeah. not. So, Ginger, we'll, we'll head on then to Limerick. You started in, in Mary Eye in uh, summer or the autumn of 1976, if I'm not mistaken. I hope I'm not losing my head. And um, you then started your career three years later, if I'm not, if I'm not wrong again, in uh, Listening Ryan National School in the parish of Ahan. So, uh, in there with Paul Kennedy as principal, of course, Paul was, 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 was well connected in Limerick GA as well, of course, in Hurling's terms. So, you were there in Ahan Parish, and I suppose gradually you got to see what Hurling meant. Uh, in, in that part of the country and it created in your, in your mind a knowledge and an, and, an, and a willingness to get involved at primary schools level. It did indeed. Well, I was extremely fortunate to start my teaching career in Lisnagrai and I spent 26 years there and Paul Kennedy was principal for all the 26 years I was there. And Paul is a Tipperary man. He's from Boris Ali. He had three uncles who played for Tipperary back in the 1950s, <coughs> won all Ireland medals. Ryan's from Boris Lee and his first cousins were the great Bobby Ryan and Aidan Ryan from Boris Lee. So um, Paul was a great mentor to me and it was always wonderful to watch him when he was training the children because he was always concerned with teaching them the skills and teaching them good habits. And we often played schools who had maybe bigger fellas who would just get the ball and burst through and solo and score goals. And it was amazing that... He, we had very good players who went on to inter-county fame and yet we'd, for many years we were nothing in the school. That situation was rectified afterwards. But um, he was a, a great mentor and he had played, um, he had played a hearty cup final with Limerick's, with St. Flannan's in 1964. Famous game inside the Gaelic rounds when Limerick CBS had a great team with the Eamon Cregans, the Eamon Grimeses, the... Pat Hartigans, the Sean Foley's and so on. And Paul played in goals in a front of a crowd of 10,000 people in the Hartley Cup in 1964. Eamon Cregan tells me he scored a penalty uh, on him that day. And um, Paul went on then to play underage for Tipperary. And then he went to teach in Dublin. And when he came to teach in Limerick in 1976 or at 75, he was immediately recruited by a hand. And by 1976, he was in the Limerick senior hurling panel. And he was on the Limerick panel then until 1979. Tommy Quaid had taken the, late Tommy the job, mm -hmm. the late Tommy Quaid, and Tommy Quaid was a good bit younger than Paul, and Paul decided he had given five years sitting in the bench. Now, he played a good few league matches, and he was most unfortunate, Eamon Cregan alluded to it lately in an article about Nicky Quaid, that Paul was due to play 
for Limerick in a league quarter final in Tullus and um, he got he got a very bad flu and he wasn't able to play mm. and Tommy Quaid was drafted in That's Tommy was 19 and that was that then the rest is history the rest is history exactly but Paul was a great mentor and in the school I looked after the football side of things and Paul <coughs> looked after the hurling and in later years looked after Komogi as well and as I said a great sportsman I vividly remember that um, when we got a, a hall in the school after many many years of trying he insisted on having it lined for, for badminton and for basketball and then he went off and he did a coach uh, did a course on coaching basketball uh, badminton and then he used to bring the children in and coach them in badminton and the school would open early in the morning so the children could come in and play badminton for an hour before school started so it was giving them every opportunity to, to enjoy every sport they could but uh, I suppose um, when I started in the school the first year we were there Kevin Herbert was the captain of the school team Kevin went on to captain a hand to win county championships and then the Morins started in the school James first, then Ollie, and then Niall, and they went on to great things. Shawnee O'Connor captained our school team to win the hurling in 1993. Yeah, the same very, team for the football. Well. Sean was a great hurler yeah. altogether, yeah. And extremely skillful and extremely brave. He won 321 medals with Limerick in the early noughties, and he played in the final of 2007. So by the time I was leaving the school in 2006, Dan Morrissey was just going into secondary school, and... Tom and Paddy were coming up to the school. So there was a great tradition of holding. And I think, like I said, the most important thing was the children all got the chance to play and they all got the chance to learn good habits. And uh, I think it's still to them. So I suppose that's, that's great. Obviously, you credited Paul Kennedy being a great mentor to yourself, yeah. but I suppose the school in general, they was very, very lucky that they had two men when you came along with your... Massive interest in football and hurling and and, and all sports as well. So you know the this guy was well served in the hand as well. So did you become aware then of obviously the tradition in the hand is massive and um, you, was it during your time there then that you you, you started getting involved at, at some level in 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 uh, coming to Munskull activities in Limerick? I did indeed. Now the funny thing was coming to Munskull as a national organisation was founded in 1971, but it took a long time for counties to set up their own individual units. I think you'll find the primary schools really were GA and the primary schools were run by Christian brothers. So in the cities you had the CBSs and the Sexton Streets and so on in Limerick. And in Cork you had the Northman and the Sullivan's Keys mm-hmm. and so on. But outside of that then, it was all a little bit haphazard. So coming to Munskull in Limerick wasn't set up until about 1976. And East Limerick didn't organise properly until the early 80s. So I suppose I was involved then in helping out with teams and eventually I became an officer and I became the chairman of Coming to Munskull in East Limerick in 1985 and I stayed on in that position until 2006. There wasn't much yeah, going. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't too many volunteers for the job. Oh, you, were but too, I loved it. you were doing too good a job. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was absolutely great and as I was saying to you there, Pat, before, I remember Kappa Moore School had a great team in those days. John Hayes was playing for them. And we both Hayes, the Bull Hayes is right, yeah. yeah. And um, we found it very hard because East Limerick was a very rural area and there was no big centre of population. We found it very hard to get schools with big enough numbers to play 15 aside. So we invited Newport School to come in and play because Newport from Lisnagrai and Maru and places like that yeah. was a very short drive. Mm. The principal in Newport was a man called Eamon Coffey, whose father won an All Ireland medal with Limerick in, back in 1936, I think it was. With, sorry, with Tipperary in 1937. Right. But even though he was a, a Kappa Mormon, but he, he played with Newport and won an All Ireland medal. But Eamon was very interested, and Eamon entered the, the East Limerick League. And you could say we almost regretted it because Newport went on and won the first five championships oh. that they entered. <laughs> and they had a great boy in the school who was coming up in those days, Conor O'Mahony, who played centre oh, back for Tipperary. Oh, yes. And Conor was a great player as well. So there were so many fellas that. that um, that featured in school teams throughout, throughout the East. There was a fellow called Noel Mooney played in goals for Capamore. He went on to play League of Ireland soccer for Cork City. He, he, and he, for went, Limerick. To, he went on to big things, UEFA. He now works for UEFA. So, you know, it was great to see mm-hmm. those yeah. fellas. And you go out to play a school like Dunnock Moore and there'd be a boy called Bernie Hattigan playing and another boy called Liam Grimes and they were sons of the great fellas. Great so there was a fierce tradition. And um, there was a man died actually there last week called John Mulcahy. He, he had played for Limerick in 1947 and he played for Limerick for many years and John had a, about 10 children but his sons were all great hurlers and John used to be at all the school's matches when Capamore played and there was just 
a great feeling of uh, of Tony history. Tony Mulcahy's father. Tony Mulcahy's father, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe, you've mentioned so many, you know, connections there with great players of the past and players to come up who came up and became great players and the Newport connection and all of that. So obviously then, as as the years went by with people like you involved and and great, I'm sure other Mm -hmm. people as well, but you you leading it there in Limerick, the Cumberland Muscle got way more organised, way more efficient in its running, way more games for the kids and then hurling and camogie football, Gaelic football, ladies football came into it. So... You know, in your role in as chairperson, how did you how did it develop in terms of and this this could play to any county, but at the moment it's Limerick because you're yeah. in Limerick. But yeah. what what were the things you, you put in place to get more people involved? Because just before I finish, mm. there were so many other attractions coming in now for young players with soccer, premiership on television, Munster Rugby doing mm. so well. You know, in order to promote the game, they needed a game. So what kind of things did you have to do and how often did you meet? And was, was a lot of hard work involved in what you were doing? There was a lot of hard work, but it was something we really enjoyed. I suppose one thing I'd say about coming to Munskull in Limerick was it was founded back in the early 80s. And one of the first things, now prior to that, as I said, there were always schools games going on, and especially in the city with the Christian Brothers schools. The interesting thing about Listener Gray was <coughs> that until East Limerick Schools Board was started in 1982, Listener Gray used to play in the East Clare League and they were really struggling and Paul Kennedy would say that they were playing in about the Division 3 and barely holding their own and that the standard in the schools in Clare in those days was much higher than the standard schools in Limerick. But what they did in Limerick when they started the coming of months ago was very quickly they decided to organise an interdivisional competition and the Mackey Cup is the hurling competition and the Sassery Cup is the football competition. We went on then to have a cup called the Lark and Shield in girls' football and uh, the Neville Cup in Camogie. The Neville Cup is called after Etna Neville, a famous family from Kilfinney back near Adair that uh, they played. They played. Her brothers played hurling for Limerick. She played Camogie for Limerick in Dublin and her family donated the land in Ratkeel for Mick Neville Park. Ah, Mick Neville Park, so yeah. Etna played for Dublin when she was in UCD and she played for Limerick for years as well. And she donated a cup called the Etna Neville mm-hmm. Cup, which is, which is contested. But it meant that there was a kind of a, a succession then that you had the primary schools and the best boys and girls in the primary schools got to play for their division. And then we'd have a competition in the Gaelic rounds where the divisions would play off two semi-finals and a final. And then you'd pick a county team to play at challenge game. We would have gone up to Athenwright to play Tipperary, to play Galway. Tom Clunan was the man up there. And then Galway came down to us the following year. We went to Killarney to play Kerry. We'd go to Cork to, to play Cork. And they'd come with us the following year. And the interesting thing was that in football, and I was involved in the football, we went 11 years. Now, we were only playing one match a year. But we went 11 years without losing a game. So we'd have gone That's to Kerry and beaten them in football. And they'd have come up to us the following year and we'd have beaten them again. And the same with beating Cork and Tipperary and we'd played Galway and so on. So obviously things were things were going in the right direction, that's what I'd say. But I always felt that then of course the primary game came in in nineteen ninety six. I was going to come and to that, that show, was, yeah. That gave every child want to be playing in that. And the first year was a huge success because in nineteen ninety six Limerick played Cork in the first round down at Parky Cueve and they beat them by twelve points. They played Clare then the All Ireland champions in the Gaelic rounds in the hottest we'll season forget it. when Kieran <laughs> Carey scored his yeah. memorable point, and then they played Tipperary in the Munster final. And the, there was only one set of jerseys for each county, so they picked the same players for the three games. So there were fellas like Andrew O'Shaughnessy and Garrett Hagney, and those got to play. Morris O'Brien, who played for Limerick and for Dublin afterwards, they actually played three weeks out of five or something. So, I mean, just, and just, it was yeah. it was a huge. Thing every child then wanted to be playing. Yeah. Just for our listeners, are supposed to remind them the primary game is, was that was the initiative there that, whereby you know the primary schools of every county would pick a player and send them on for trials to get on the primary game match, which was played. Was it between the either at half time yeah. in the Munster Championships yeah. or in football hurling or whatever? Yeah. And the Scoggies came into it as well. And uh, if your school got got a player on the primary yeah. game, which was a big thing for the family, for the yeah. school, they went off. And Joe played a huge role in that in, in our terms of organising that in the Munster side anyway. And he, he might tell us more later on at, at national level. But in the Munster, in the Joe knows inside out all the, the logistics and the organisation yeah. went into that. And it was a huge thing, Joe, to get all that organised and be it able was. to have 
you know, have the pitch and have the goalpost and the referee and everything else in place on the stadium with maybe 20,000 people or 30,000 people and see the matches on and maybe a minor before it. So um, tell us a little bit about all the work involved in that yeah. and maybe some of the players who went on to be stars who played primary game hurling, you know, 20 years ago. Well, I suppose the first thing I'd say was that the primary game really, we owe everything to Noel Walsh. Clareman from Milltown Melby. Great man, no. He was the chairman man. of the Munster Council and he came up with this idea that there would be a primary schools match between the two competing counties. It used to be played between the intermediate match and the senior game in those days, which meant that it was about 20 minutes to 25 minutes and it was a 15 aside match. And the crowd used to be involved and interested in it and so on. And it started in 1996 and there was a woman called Anne Jones. She was a sister of Cayman Jones, the broadcaster, and Anne was worked in marketing or PR or something and Anne managed to get a sponsor for us and it was Dairy Gold sponsored it first time <coughs> and it started then with maybe just a boys match and having a primary game and then afterwards went on to girls matches and so on and it became a huge success and basically it's the most coveted jersey now that any child can have because you can't go into a sports shop and buy a primary game jersey sure. it's we sure. order so many at the start of the year and that's it then. If you have a primary game jersey, you'll have it forever. And you'll go on holidays and you'll see children wearing primary game jerseys. And you'll see adults <laughs> fitting themselves into primary game jerseys <laughs> in Croke Park and so on and so forth. And I know that I, I have been the coordinator of the primary game for about the last 15 years. And now there was no primary game in 2021 or 2020. But in 2019... There were 484 children took part in the primary game, which is a fair amount now. Absolutely. And it meant there was a primary game at every match. And if you thought about it, in the hurling with the round robin, there were actually 10 championship matches. And in the football, you had a quarterfinal, two semifinals and a final. And only one child, only one boy from any school can play in the primary game in a given year. So let's say, for instance, if Clare were to win a quarterfinal, a semifinal and a final, then... You'd, be, you'd, you'd have three yeah. different teams, mm-hmm. so you'd have children from 33 different schools playing yeah. in those. So it's a, it's a great initiative altogether. And as organiser, I know that we will be inundated with emails from parents. A, when is the primary game being picked? When will they be playing? And so on. And then finally, as you know, thank you and saying what a wonderful day they had. So it's a, it's a great initiative. And like if you thought of it, you won't see children coming out at halftime in a soccer match between Man United and Arsenal. It's and wearing the same jersey and you know doing a guard of honour for the senior team and so on and uh, getting ringside seats so it's a huge credit to the Munster Council that that has been so successful and the the children all get to keep all the gear and that's the one thing the children adore getting jersey togs and shorts and walking to school on the Monday and saying this is my primary game jersey and I'd say hardly a year goes by when I don't have a request from a parent that you know my fella took his jersey down to training one night and was gone when he came out and he'd get him another one and I'd say, well, we can order 485 next year and, oh, yeah. you know, that's about the only way you can do it. But, but it is wonderful. And the number of fellas who have played in the primary game and still talk about it. Um, a few years ago, we were looking for a new sponsor for the primary game and I contacted a good few of the players. They all got back to me straight away. David Myler, the soccer international, yeah, yeah, he played hurling for Cork up in um, in <coughs> Tullus in I don't know was it 2001 or something and he said to me that he was really thrilled because um, he said they were the only Cork team who won that day he said that the minors and the, <laughs> the, 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 the intermediate and the, the seniors, seniors were beaten but that the, the primary game team had won Simon Zebo got a primary game jersey in football in 2002 um, Breach Corkery and Rena Buckley the two of them, the first time they ever met was when they played primary game football down in Waterford. Two of the greatest players the of, of all time. Two of the greatest players of all time, exactly. And they said they still have the jersey as well. And it's the same then that the likes of um, Declan O'Sullivan from Kerry. And I remember that Kerry won the all Ireland minor title in 2015 or 2016. And there was a photo in front of Kerry's eye and it showed the primary game team from five years before it. And something like seven of that primary game team were on yeah, the starting minor, minor team, you know. So it's something that they all love. And like equally, in Camogie, we'd look at the likes of Niamh Mulcahy, the Limerick player. She played in the primary game. And it's just the, 
It's uh, just you could go back then to great to grand niece or daughter of, of exactly. She's yeah. and and, uh, and married, the grand married to Gary Brennan. Married to Gary Brennan and, and Neve was a, a pupil of mine in Listener Grey, but um, Tipperary now you'd have Jake Morris and Noel McGrath and all these fellas. They all played in the Premier game, and it's really it's the stepping stone for we have in Limerick from playing with them. Your school to getting picked for the Mackey Cup to be getting picked for the the Premier game. Connor Murray, as I said, another fellow played in the Premier game, and um, so. There's no shortage of, of uh, fellas but who went on. All that was so important, Joe, because as I kind of mentioned there a little while back, you know, the Premier League was was getting blanket coverage on Sky Sports mm-hmm. and all their channels and all the papers and kids' attention. And then with their new phones and tablets, they were looking at it constantly. Mm-hmm. Munster Rugby was absolutely flying at winning Heineken Cups mm-hmm. and all of that kind of thing. So, uh, and that was all great. I mean, we, we all love yeah. all of it. Yeah. And we support Munster, of yeah. course, and everything like that. But... Um, you know, there was always a little bit of a danger that the Gaelic Games wasn't going to capture young kids' imagination. So the primary game, and I'll come to the magazine, the primary game, coming to Munsicals, working, mm. setting up the leagues, and we'll come to your very, very important magazine mm. that you and Kieran Crow, the principal mm. of Patrick's Bell at the time, started off this initiative about 25, 26 years ago. 25 19, years 19, ago. 19, yeah. 25 yeah. years ago. The Green and White magazine uh, came out every school term. Uh, glossy, colour, Picture based mm. quizzes, stories, information mm. on players from all the codes and sent out to the schools free. And you and Kieran Crow produced this magazine every 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 term for the for the last as a twenty five years, which is remarkable. It's a fantastic publication. Mm. I'd advise anyone who hasn't got their hands on a copy to have a look at it sometime. But Joe, you know this was the response that you and your colleagues in Limerick brought to keeping the young children close to their heroes. And having material, you know, to keep them really keen on GA games. So, you know, the green and white then started up in nineteen ninety six, I think, and at the launch, I think Tom Ryan didn't let you down, even That's though he was probably disappointed after losing the All Ireland. I think you're right. You're right. But well, I suppose <coughs> I was teaching listener Gray at the time, and in ninety four, Limerick got to the All Ireland final and they lost awfully. In ninety six, they were back in the All Ireland final again. So they had won two Munster finals in three years, <coughs> and the thirst the children had to find out about the Limerick colours was just immense. But walking around the class and listening to Gray, I particularly remember there was one boy who was a Newcastle United supporter. And every month he'd have a different Newcastle fanzine. And he had the Newcastle home jersey and the Newcastle away jersey. And all these things. And Munster rugby was flying. Um, it was, I suppose it was only starting at Start the time, really. Going, yeah. But in the years to follow, you know, Munster rugby became a huge thing. And the people were travelling all over the continent to follow Munster and Munster Rugby were brilliant at marketing whereas I felt that children themselves they could only read about the Limerick team in the local in the Limerick Leader or the local papers so we had a chat with the Limerick County Board and the PRO at the time was a woman called Sandra Marsh and she said well would you consider producing a a magazine and (coughs) I said we would and the next question was then how much it would cost and there was a man called John Hayes and John operated the Salesian Printing Press in the Salesian College in Palace Henry. And he used to print magazines like the Far East and those. Mm. But he was a very keen GMN and he was the secretary of Borden and Ogue in Limerick City. So we approached John and we were doing an A5 magazine, which is half of A4. And it was black and white. And he, could, he used to print it in the old style where he could do green and then he could do red and then he could do black. So we could afford one colour. So the colour was green. (laughs) (laughs) So we had green and white and black and white photos then. And we felt that to get the magazine off the ground, we needed to have the first issue paid for. So the Mackey stand was built in Limerick and opened in 1988, the day that Limerick played, the day that Cork were in the Munster final in, in... the Gaelic Club. Diggins Tipperary. The Diggins Tipperary. And Anthony Foley and Keith Wood played in the for Clare of the 16 team there for East Clare. And, um, but the Gaelic Crowns, they had a big debt and they had a thing called the Mackie Draw. And this was to raise money to pay for the Mackie stand. And the, it later on became the Limerick Development Draw. And a man called Dan Hickey, who was involved in the Pierce a cap of white man, a Tipperary man, Dan was the chairman of the Mackie Draw. So we went and spoke to Dan and said, we want to bring out this magazine to encourage the children in Limerick to get interest in GA and there was never a better time to do it. Would you, would the, would the 
development draw pay for the first issue and hopefully it'll pay for itself after that. So Dan went to the committee and he came back and they said they would. Dan was the chairman and a man called Paddy Quilligan was the treasurer. Paddy was from St. Patrick's Club and they paid for the first issue and we brought out the first issue and it was 5,000 copies and the idea was that it would be sold to every school in Limerick and we did one three times a year and as I said, the rest is history. Now the interesting thing was it, it almost collapsed a few times because the thing was that what we used to do was we had no distribution network. So I would go to the county board meeting in Clahan J Club and I'd try to meet fellas from clubs and say, will you take 50 magazines for pass your local on. school and yeah. pass them on? And some of the magazines would be put in the boot of the car and never <laughs> see the light of the day again. Or sometimes they'd drop them into their school. And I remember once going into a school during the summer holidays, there was a summer course on there and the print, I was passing the principal's office and there was a bundle of 100 green and white magazines up on his table. He'd forgotten to give them out. <laughs> oh, <yeah. coughs> and then the bother was that mm. you'd have somebody who would take the magazines and he'd drop them into the school, but he wouldn't collect any money. And they were 20 cents each. And we felt that if the club would buy them, they should still maybe charge the kids 10 cents and maybe the children might have a bit a bit of respect for them but um, anyway there was at the time coming a month ago they had an award scheme that was sponsored by Corn Market sorry no it's sponsored by Corn Market at the moment but in those days it was sponsored by Roadstone and Roadstone very generously gave a prize of about a thousand pounds in those days for each category and we entered the best publication category and about three years in a row we came second or third and eventually we won it and every penny we got for winning or coming second or third went into the magazine. So it meant we were able to make the magazine a bit brighter the next time and have three or four colours in it or and maybe have 24 pages in it. And I could, should mention McNamee Awards, can we read them like, No, we never won a McNamee Award. Sorry. No, 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 no. Yeah, we we haven't won, done. no, no. But we did win um, the, the Roadstone Awards, which went on to become the Gaelic Terracom Awards and oh. nowadays is the Corn Market Awards. And we've won them for many, many years. Uh, over the over the years, so that was a huge, a huge um, plus. But what uh, the bother was that, as I said, trying to produce the magazine, there was lots of work in it, taking photographs, interviewing people, and so on. And then we'd put the way we did every page was you get a little poly pocket, and you'd write up your little bit of script. You'd have your photograph, bring it back to the printer. He'd do the layout there, and then and then he'd print it eventually. But um, to distribute it was a huge job and even better than to collect the money. So Jerry Bennis, the late Jerry Bennis, brother of Phil Bennis yeah. and Richie and so on, Jerry had been chairman of the Limerick County Board and he stepped down in 1993 after Clare beat Limerick in Ennis. And Jerry was still involved in the Limerick County Board, anything he could do for them. And Jerry was a Patrick Swell man, Kieran was principal of Patrick Swell, and Jerry thought that the magazine was a great idea. So Jerry said, I'll tell you what, I'll collect the money and I'll make sure the magazine gets out to the schools. And all you have to do is produce a good magazine. Excellent. So Jerry did that. And what he did was he had a list of every club in the county and he contacted a contact in each club and said, would you not buy 50 magazines three times a year? And he'd make sure they were given out at the county board meetings. Or if not, he'd make it his business to deliver them. So then suddenly there was money coming in every year and we were winning prizes and that was able to add to that. And we were able to go from eight five to A4 yeah. and we were able to go to 32 pages and 16 of them could be in colour. And now it's full colour it's full color and it could be 36 pages as good as you could see or anywhere. it could be 48 pages. Yeah. But and it's also, as well, it's got obviously information because Limerick booming at the moment and hurling. Limerick booming at the moment, it, yeah. It, it, it's, it's very uh, and, and appropriate. And football not going too bad either. Football not, bad not either. too bad at all. But not too bad. The thing is that... Um, not alone do you, have, you have, do you have pictures and photographs mm -hmm. and articles, but you have quizzes and you have games and you have a uh, little in, input from children and you mm -hmm. have, um, you know, the, the what I think everybody, I remember the, the shoot and goal magazine. Yes, we were yep, going yep. Up, you know, you, the Peter Osgood or, yep, or, or yep. Terry McDermott, or their favourite yep. food was always yep. steak and chips. <laughs> and, <yeah. laughs> and their favourite car was probably a Ford Capri. Yep, so yep. nowadays that's what kids love to see. So all of that is it. It's an absolutely, Jim is having a look at it there now. It's a brilliant publication. It's a fine glossy magazine. It's, the standard, the quality is, is top class. I mean, you could, you could, you know, it's as good as any of the international things going around, Leo, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. How much of a distribution level? How many would you are you getting through? Five thousand copies three times a year. Five thousand. No, we would say that the county board could sell ten thousand copies. That's what I was going to say. Do, That's what we would reckon. Imagine yeah. with with the population of Limerick and, and with we, everything going well. We reckon yeah. they would. And you see, when Jerry started 
marketing it, if you like, there were clubs that would say, well, we've three national schools in the parish and we've given 50 to the boys' school and we've given 20 to the girls' school and we give one to the, the, maybe the school that's outside the village. And sure, with Limerick winning, we have said to the Limerick County Board several times, every family in every school should get a copy of the Green and White to take home with them. And that you couldn't go wrong. Now, one thing we've insisted is that we do not have any ads in the magazine. Because we feel if you start putting in ads, it, does, it loses, whole, it loses it, its yeah. integrity, if you like. Mm. Now, we've been very fortunate that, um, like that photograph there on the front of the <coughs> issue there you're looking at with Garrod Hagerty and so on, that there was a man that, that I remember having him on school teams years ago, Seamus McElligot. And Seamus has a, a, a sports photography business called um, Sports Action Photography. And he's a Facebook page, really. He's, it's, he's, he's a, a draftsman, an architect, but taking photographs is his hobby. So Seamus will go to the games and then he will give us all the photos for free. That's when he, when he can get a pass to the matches. So, you know, it's great to be able to get top quality photographs. And we were very fortunate back when we started that there was a man called Owen South. He was a photographer with the Limerick Leader. Yeah. And yeah. Owen was yeah. nephew of the great John South. Mm. And Owen... His own children were going to school in St. Nessens and in, act, in actual fact his son Michael played on the primary game in football and Owen thought the magazine was a great idea and in those days there was no digital photographs they were all hard copy so Owen would go to matches and he'd take photos Limerick playing in the Wexford the All-Ireland so he might take 10 photos and a quick release or whatever it was and then should they use one and the rest would be going in the bin so Owen would put them all aside for us and we'd go into the leader office and we'd go through all the photographs and we'd take out the ones that were of use to us. Yeah. So we finished up having great fo <coughs> action photos and photos of the Limerick players because of the Owen's generosity. So and Joe, Joe in the lead up to an issue being published, yeah. you and Kieran Crow, how, how many hours or how much time would you spend <laughs> having your copy ready for the deadline? <laughs> we'd spend a lot of time. What we and where do, is Jimmy to do For it? the last 25 years, we would meet every Monday night in Bobby Bond's pub in Limerick. Oh, sure, great, great, great spot. That's what we do. Yeah. That's it. And yeah. we'd hold our editorial meetings there. <laughs> and then what happens then is as it gets closer to the deadline, we've all the material together. And it, it, about 10 years ago, Kieran and his wife bought a holiday home in Dingle. So Kieran and I would decamp to Dingle on a Friday night. And we would, <laughs> we would work in the magazine until 10 o'clock and then we would go for a walk. Yes, and stop for uh, to to rehydrate, <laughs> yeah. and then we'd get home. We'd do another couple of hours, and get up in the morning then and clear the head and do a few more hours. So we'd have all the magazine ready then, and we're very lucky that there's a man called Declan Considine, and Declan is from Limerick, and he's a graphic designer, and Declan worked in London, and he did back if you remember when Claire won the the All Ireland in '95. And the Guinness were the first sponsors of the championship. Yeah, and there was this logo called Not Men... Not <coughs> oh, not men, not men But Giants. Not Men But Giants. Yes. Declan was involved in the marketing for that. Ah. So he has a great field for the GA and he's very interested. And Declan knows how we work. Yes. So we send everything to Declan then. And Declan, Declan does the colour schemes and the layout and so on for us. So there's a little look and meeting the right people all along. But George, wasn't always playing sailing. I remember <laughs> you told, I mentioned in an article that... Uh, you, yourself and Kieran were selling them one day outside at a match right. uh, trying to promote the magazine in the early days and people thought it was a programme and uh, afterwards <laughs> <laughs> well it was interesting that Adair were playing Patrick's well in the county final yeah. in 1996 September 96 Limerick had just lost the All-Ireland so it was the end of September beginning of October the magazine came out we wanted to get in a few shillings to keep it going yeah. so we went in and we sold magazines on the way into the Gaelic rounds and people rushing into the Gaelic rounds saw me selling the Little magazine. magazine. Picked it up, ran in. But several fellas came back and looked for their 20 pence back. From the programme. But the following year, then in 1997 <laughs> or maybe 1998, um, we were very fortunate that um, Sandra Marsh, as I said, was, was involved in Limerick County Board. And whatever way it worked out, anyway, Limerick County Board got sponsorship from the Midwestern Health Board. And there was a great effort at healthy living and well-being. And Lim Midwestern Health Board sponsored the Limerick team. And for two or three years, the Limerick team wore a jersey with the logo Drug Free. Drug Free, cool. yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. The Euphidale. So, anyway, thanks to a bit of negotiation, Limerick County Board, and actually the, the, the man who was in charge of the, the operation for the Health Board is now second in command in the HSE in the public service, in the public health area. His name is Dr. Kevin Kelleher. You'd often see him on yeah, the, on yes, the yeah, yes, of course, yeah. Kevin Keller is an Englishman from Wolverhampton, but with loads of Irish blood in him. 
And Kevin uh, agreed that if they wanted to promote the, the drug-free cool message, they should start in the schools. So they actually gave us a thousand T-shirts to sell. They were, they were uh, uh, white T-shirts with drug-free cool written in Limerick, in uh, green yeah. on it. And they said to us, if you can sell those T-shirts, you, can have, you can have the money as long as it goes towards the magazine because it's all promotion of the healthy lifestyle. Of course. And we would have the Drug Free Cool logo on the magazine and so on and so forth. So we used to be inside in the market in Limerick on a Saturday morning selling T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I remember well that Davy Clark was playing for Limerick in, the, in those days. He was right half back from Kilmallock. Oh, and Davy used to sell fruit and veg in the market. So we used to get David to put on a, a T-shirt for us and cool. Drug But we, had a, we had then had a, a well-known person in Limerick who... Um, objected to this very strongly because she said that the message we were sending out was that drugs were free and that they were oh, cool. cool. <laughs> 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 so it was, <laughs> we carried on in a way and that money oh, helped to keep the magazine afloat. And as I said, once Jerry Bennett got the organisation and then we were fortunate that poor old Jerry then, a number of years before he died and not that long ago at all, he just said, look, you know, that, that, uh, he wouldn't have been around forever. So he approached Mike O'Reardon, the secretary of the county board, and what Mike said was that instead of trying to collect money from the clubs, that when Mike would send out his bill to the clubs every year for affiliation and insurance and everything, he would just include the money for the green and white. Very so good the money would come in then, and the county board would pay for the magazine three times <coughs> a year. So it was a great idea. Now, that leads us on, I suppose, Limerick have won the last three or yeah. the last four All-Irelands yeah. at senior level, right? Which yeah. is an absolutely outstanding team, yeah. you know, yeah. and as, as the Clare neighbours, we have to admire them, yeah. even though yeah. we mightn't be too, yeah. too, too happy that they're winning so yeah. many of them, at maybe our expense and others. But, you know, you then, and then Kieran decided after the first one in 2018, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you would bring out a book to celebrate... Uh, the win called At Last, At Last. because we hadn't, they, had, they hadn't won the Ireland since 1973 yep. so you met all the players and officials and people involved in the backroom team uh, so you might just tell us a little bit about uh, preparing the book and writing the book and, and also I suppose how did you find out from many of the players if their interest in hurling as young fellas was was fed in by the green and gold, you know, or the yeah. green, I should say, the green yeah. and white, I should yeah. say, green, gold. <laughs> green and white, you know, did the players ever say that they remember having that as kids and maybe being a little bit inspired to, to get involved? But, you know, yeah, and, they, and the book as well. So you they, can, you can, they did indeed. Well, you can let's Limerick, there on the book now. When Limerick won in, 1970, in, 19, in 2018, we had been doing the green and white for 22 years at that stage. And every year we think <clears> this will be the year and maybe we'll have it. So we just felt that it was an occasion that should be marked and we were lucky because we knew Seamus McKelligot had great photos from all the matches and he had said they were available to us. And we also felt that Sportsfile bring out a book every year called The Season That's of Sundays, right, yeah. which is a great book. Brilliant. But they also bring out a book in the county which wins the All-Ireland Football. And we felt that that's all very well, but it's, it's just a photo book. It's lovely, but it's photos. And we felt that as people who had been teaching in the county for 40 years, and that every single child and the every player on the team had come up to the primary schools. Through the system, yeah. We yeah. felt we knew them all. Yeah. And we felt that we had an insight into them. And we had photos of them. I had a photo of Tom Morris here in senior infants at a match with a hurdle in his hand. Yeah. So, you know, you had you had those photos. We had, Kieran had taught in Patrickswell. He had taught Kian Lynch, Aaron Galan, and Dermot Bonds. And we just approached the county board and we said, look, there's such... Glee in the county, if there was a book out for Christmas, everybody would buy one as a Christmas present. We feel you couldn't go wrong. So the county board agreed. We went to Q Print in Limerick, who are the people who print the green and white. TJ Ryan is the sales director. Kevin Downs works there as well, yeah. Limerick holder. So we went to Q Print and we, we got a prize from them. And then we set about the book. And what we did was we interviewed every player on the panel of the 36. And we asked them all similar questions but the highlight of the year and so on, not all the same questions. We interviewed John Kiley one day in the Gaelic rounds. He was in his county championship match and between the two games he came and spoke to us. We interviewed Paul Kinnerk, <coughs> whom Kieran and I had on the primary game team for two years in a row in 97 and 98 as a football, football cornerback. And uh, he told us he has very strong player connections. Doing big. Doing big, <coughs> exactly. Because I was interested that back in the 1940s, Kerry had a great cornerback called Bill Kinnerk. And there's a roundabout, and there's a, 
There's a, a roundabout in Trilly and a road in Trilly, I'd say, called Bilkenark Road, Bilkenark Roundabout. So I was curious to know if he was related to Paul, but he didn't know anything about that. But um, I would have had Seamus Hickey and school teams in the East, the Morrissey's and so on. We had photos of all the boys in there, you know, as, as young fellas. Yeah. So we felt we had an insight <coughs> into them and we interviewed people in the backroom team. And as I said, we had top quality photographs as well. So we worked morning, noon and night. I was at school still teaching, but Kiran was free and we got the book together. Deadline was maybe the end of October and we had it out. We had it, we had it ready for the first week of November and then printed 4,000 hard copies and they sold out in less than 10 days. And a great launch inside. We had a great launch in the granary, yeah. we did. And John Coyley came to the launch and, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great occasion. But we honestly didn't <coughs> know whether 4,000 was miles too many or what. Yeah. But, like, <coughs> we had to go around to the bookshops and you could say nearly beg them to take the book and say to them, we're not looking for anything back. All we're yeah, looking is you put the book on the and we gave them a, a, a generous cut. And they told us, well, we're not a charity and so on. But... I can tell you there were back to us within two or three days saying, you only gave us one book, uh, box, would you give us five boxes and ten boxes? So we approached Cube then to say, could they do another 2,000 copies? And this was now the 10th of December, and they said they could, but the bother was that the hard cover has to be bound somewhere else and that there was an awful lot of work involved. So they said, we can do the soft cover, but not the hard cover. Yeah. So they brought out softback, 2,000 more, and they all sold. Oh. Or virtually all of them anyway. But uh, there was a good bit of work involved in the soft cover because the <coughs> the the artwork on the inside front and back pages had to be all realigned mm-hmm. then because it was it wasn't a sticky book and oh, so on yeah. you know but it was a bo- it was a book that we loved doing and like it was it's just great, great <laughs> read actually yeah. it was a, it was great if you liked to we were we then did all the work delivering it and so on and you'd get a phone call from Eason's maybe on a Saturday morning can you bring us in five more boxes and go into the Crescent Shopping Centre and go into the underground car park and get a trolley and put the five boxes into them, open the lift, bring them into Eason's and put them up on the shelves. And it was great to, to see them. It's important then to establish that all proceeds from the book yeah. went to the Players went Fund and the County Board. And, so, board and it realised how much? It realised a profit of about €35,000 for the Limerick County Board. Which so, are eternally, eternally grateful to you, I'm sure. Oh, they are. They are, absolutely. <laughs> but the thing was that the following year, another story now, and I don't know if you have time for it or not, well, we, we time, went yeah. to the Lim- the first match Limerick played in the Munster Championship the following year. Defending their title, uh, their All-Ireland title, was in the Gaelic Crowns, and Limerick played Cork, and Cork beat them. And afterwards, we were standing talking to John Hayes, the man who used to print the book for us yeah. in Palace Henry. John is now well-retired and so on. And John was chatting to us away, and he said, there's a fellow over there now who actually was in the game long before you were. And his name was Michael O'Grady. Michael trained Dublin Hurlers. Brother O'Grady. Brother O'Grady. Brother O'Grady. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. Brother of PJ O'Grady. Yeah. And uh, brother-in-law of the late Leonard Enright. Correct. And Michael trained Wexford. He trained Tipperary. He trained Dublin. And he had been a Christian brother in Sexton Street at one stage. He lives in Dublin now. But Michael O'Grady, in the, late, in the early 1980s, Michael O'Grady got permission from the GA to do a coaching manual and he approached goalkeepers like Noel Skeaton and um, forwards like Eddie Kerr, coaches like Father Seamus Gardner, Bishop Willie Walsh and all those who were coaching teams, Len Gaynor, Donny Nealon and he got on to all kinds of people, defensive play, he was on to people like Mick Jacob from Wexford and um, that was you have no idea all the, the top names. It really was something else now to to, to see the, the players. Coaches, Dermot Healy from Offaly. Mm. Exactly. <coughs> Father Tommy Maher had written a whole section on it. And there was everything in it from goalkeepings, backs, midfield, forward play, psychological preparation, physical preparation, everything you could imagine of. And what happened then was when Michael O'Grady had the book ready, the GA said, we've changed our mind. And we're not going to back it at all. So John Hayes had already been given the manuscript by Mike O'Grady and he had done all the typesetting ready to print the book. And he had kept a copy of it. So Kieran was teaching Patrick Swell. He knew the O'Grady's. He contacted Mike O'Grady and said, would you mind if we had a look at it? He said, I didn't even know there was still a copy around. So we went through that. We read through it. And Kieran, I have to say, as the ideas man, Kieran said, wouldn't this be a great thing now to compare this with modern day 
ideas. Mm. So we then proceeded <coughs> to go through Michael O'Grady's book, which was in its bare, raw form, and to edit it and cut it down a good bit, I have to say, uh, because it hadn't been edited at all. And then we went off then and we just spoke to people who had played in those days and asked them, would they have changed their opinions since then? So we spoke to fellas like Frankie Nolan and Eamon Cregan and all those. We also then spoke to modern day exponents of the game. So people like Henry Shefflin, Eamon O'Shea, John Kiley, Brian Cody, um, David Herity, the former Kilkenny yeah. goalkeeper. We spoke to loads and loads of people like that. Eamon Meskell, who coached a hand to win three county championships. And we put it all together then. And then we spoke to players about what do they think of the forward play section. We said to Keane Lynch, what do you think of the section midfield play? And so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And we kind of did it comparing and contrasting. And, you know, we spoke to Bishop Willie Walsh and he read through the piece he'd done. Now, lots of them <laughs> could barely remember writing this piece. But what was interesting was that nobody from the current day said, ah, sure, that's only a load of old rubbish. They all said, sure, that's basically what we're doing, except today we're doing it with more resources and more detail. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, Father Seamus Gardner would have said, you know, <laughs> you should always bring a pair of Wellingtons in the boot of the car in case there's a wet day when you're doing the training. And, you know, you should always have a dozen slitters. Whereas now there's no self-respecting yeah, county manager. With four dozen but, but, but it was interesting mm-hmm. to speak to a fellow like Shane Fitzgibbon who played in the 80s and, you know, to hear him talking about, like, the Limerick style, especially because we're interested in the Limerick thing, that, like, the Limerick style was fast and furious, set off like a hurricane, the and drive the ball as far as you could and let the next fellow win it. And Frankie Nolan used to say to us, he said, my God, if only I could have played today where fellas would put the ball into your hand in the yeah. best position. And he said, you're right, it's got away more than any of those fellas. You know, so it was a... But we had a, we had a launch of that in the... <coughs> in, in, in the Kilmurray Lodge in Limerick. And then the mayor of Limerick, Michael Sheehan, um, he decided to hold a civic reception in honour of the people who had contributed to the book. So I was just amazed at all the fellas who turned up. Mickey Whelan from Dublin had written a piece about physical and psychological preparation. Top desk coach. Absolutely. Mm, yeah. And he travelled down with Fintan Walsh, who had written a piece about the care of Hurleys back in the 1980s. Wow. And I showed it to Ed Shannon, who was a holy maker on Valley Brown. And he said, well, it was absolutely of its time. But he said, the care of holidays nowadays just doesn't really exist. There's no broken holidays. And people might, around here in East Clare would remember, a lot of people would remember Ed Shanahan as he worked here in the chipper factory uh, many years ago. Oh, right. My God. Mm, there's a connection there. Yeah. Well, so and, now that, and Ed, one yeah. of Ed's proudest boasts, and he has it up on his workshop, is the holiday that James e. O'Connor he was in 1997. <laughs> now, there may be quite a few of those around, but Ed played minor for Limerick, and he said he played against Jamesy uh, two years, and he said that Jamesy would come to him for holiday, so he's very proud of that. But, um, like, it was so interesting, like, Ed, that Fintan Walsh used to leave holidays drying for a year and then soaking them in linseed oil and all this, whereas Ed said, because there's no ground holding, and no the time pulling, yeah. and there's no first time pulling. Yeah. So holidays don't get broken, except in Camogie nowadays. Yeah. Joe, the clock is against us slightly, but... I just want to you to give you a chance to, you know, talking about um, the pri- or sorry, the Kumana Munskull activities yeah. in Limerick, etc. Yeah. There's a project, a major project. I mean, after all those fantastic oh, projects you've told us yeah. about and all yeah. the hard work you've done, yeah. Yeah. there's a major project coming up and you maybe our listeners might be able to contribute <laughs> some little bit to it, but we'll give you, you can take a minute now or two to promote what you're going doing as regards Kumana Munskull. I will. Well, what we're doing, Pat, and I'm delighted you gave me the chance to mention this now, is Common Mudskull was founded on a national basis in 1971. Up to then, there used to be what were called Clihy either Cahirica, where Limerick would play Galway or Cork or Waterford or Dublin. For instance, we have a photo of, the, I think it is the 1978 teams that played between Cork and, Cork and Dublin. Playing in, for the Dublin team in full forward was Niall Quinn, and playing That's wing right. back for Cork was Dennis Irwin. Now, I always thought this was an urban myth until I saw the actual programme. So there were those games were then followed by coming to Munskull. A man called P.P. Guthrie, he was Brother Guthrie in Section Street, he was one of the real fellows who got that going, now I have to say. Mm. A clear man as far yeah, as I know. He was about to fail in the gale as well. He was absolutely yeah. vital in not that. Clear, yeah. But coming to Munskull would be 50 years old, or is 50 years old in 2021, and we decided for the year that was in it, we would write a history of coming to Munskull. So we're doing a section in every single one of the 32 counties, plus London, 
plus we're doing a section on the four provinces as well. And what we're trying to get now, for any of your listeners out there, is if any of you is a, a know somebody who maybe who played inter-county football or hurling or camogie or ladies football and has a photo of themselves playing in your school team and would be willing maybe to give us a few sentences of your memories and we're talking about three or four sentences we'd be delighted some of the people who've come forward so far would include Paul McGinley Paul McGinley went to school in St Joseph's by his national school in Rathfarnham and there were a great sorry St Mary's national school in Rathfarnham they were a very strong team in hurling. He said when they got to the Dublin Division 1 final the year he was there, that the final was between St. Mary's A and St. Mary's B. So St. Mary's couldn't lose. Gosh. And he played that day. Uh, we also got Shane Horgan, the famous rugby, rugby player. Kira yeah. Griffin is the captain of the Irish ladies rugby <coughs> team. She played with her school down in, in Kerry. So we're, we're getting all kinds of people. And we're not limited to people who played sport at the top level. Um, it could be somebody who is a politician. could be somebody who is an entertainer. It could be business you know, person. a business person mm-hmm. or anybody that would have memories of playing. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That played uh, for their school team in boys football, girls football, holiday or komogi. Because... So it's as, really about their memories uh, of playing for their school. Of them yeah, to play for the school. Yeah. And like I said, John Hayes, the rugby player, said he won a triple crown, he won grand slams, he won European... Cups, but the first medal he ever received was in the East Limerick coming a month ago playing for Capamore BNS, and he treasures that. So that's it. If you have any um, photo of yourself in a school team, if you're somebody who played inter county or did something notable, you could email it to the green and white magazine at gmail.com. So photo scanned the green and green and white magazine at gmail.com. Green and white magazine at gmail.com. Green and white magazine at gmail.com. George, time is coming to an end. We could, we could go on for another hour easily. Uh, it was fascinating hearing your 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 tales and 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 it's like you had two careers. You had a teaching career, yeah. obviously, which was forty one, <laughs> if not forty two years, I think. Close enough to it. But yeah. obviously, fitting in all Leo, all that other work. Yeah. I, I, I just missed one of The green and white. Where did you get the time for it all? <laughs> everything, and uh, the connections you've made. But obviously, it was a labour of love on your part. A labour of love, as yeah. Right. And Absolutely. I, I think, I, I definitely think you mightn't say it, but I think we can say, it, Leo, yeah. that there are Limerick, Val Ireland senior medalists for the, over the last three or four, three years over the last four years, I should say, with those three islands, who I'd say some of them could definitely credit their, their love and interest in getting involved in Gaelic games and playing for their school and their underage teams, maybe with being inspired by articles in the green and white or maybe by playing in a league organised by Joe and his colleagues in Limerick or whatever. So I think, you know, there's no question about there's a link between influencing our young people and inspiring them and reaching greatness of our island finals. Leo, I think you'd agree. Yeah, and it just shows how important school is you know, that's where it all that's where it all starts. And yeah. sure, no better men than yourself. You, you you said you had the Morrissey's and sure yeah. Tom Morrissey is probably in line for player of the year yes. yeah. uh, this year. Yeah. He, he's probably yeah. you know doesn't really I don't know does he get the, the credit he deserves. No. You know he's always an eight or nine every day he goes oh, out yes. playing. Yeah. 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 You know and obviously some this maybe gets the applauded yeah. but yeah. I, I think he's definitely very close to being yeah. player of Absolutely, the year yeah. this year. He's obviously to himself for Keen Keen Lynch. Yeah. You know another man that the Limerick you know, men anyway. You yeah. know, the so red, the red I, I, I Crow was 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 <coughs> teaching in Patrick's well. You were teaching out in the <laughs> yeah. hand. Yeah. So yeah. The, the the link link is there. Joe, before we let you go, there's a small matter. You said at the outset you're from originally from yeah. that great place in Castle yeah. Island yeah. and Chern Nilligan yeah. country, Donny Buckley country. Yeah. The small matter that I'll find later on this evening. Unfortunately for Kerry <laughs> people, not there. Yeah. Tyrone are there, whatever yeah. way they yeah. got there, yeah. they won anyway, yeah. and, and they're playing Mayo. How do you see it going, Joe? Well, to be honest with you, I was up at the Kerry versus Tyrone match. I really felt that this could be Kerry's year. But once again, the, the, the Tyrone yeah. just seemed to always be too smart for them. And I feel that generally when Mayo play, they always give themselves a mountain to climb. Like last year, they gave away the fastest goal ever conceded in all Ireland final. I remember being up in Croke Park another year when they played Dublin and they scored two own goals. That's right. And I just feel that Tyrone know what it takes to win and I think that they will do what it takes to win. And my feeling is, much as I'd love to see Mayo end the famine, I just feel that uh, Tyrone will be the ones that will be the happier on Saturday evening. And Pet, following on down from Saturday, all Ireland senior Camogie final, Cork and yeah. Galway, Unfortunately, we'd love Claire, Claire to be there. A bit to go, a bit to go down the road. Yeah, yet. A couple of steps but to how do you see it going, Pat? Uh, genuinely, I think Cork will win it. 
just about. Again, not, not really a great confidence. Fierce, impressive against Kilkenny, I thought. I think Galway, you know, there's going to be, I don't know what the numbers, is, is, is the centre-back going to be? Oh, there's no, you can't, no, nothing can be done about that once. Can't, can't be done. Yeah, the mistake in an injury, so that'll be sorted. So, uh, very, very close game in prospect. Uh, Galway are a super team, as we know, but I think Cork have a savage hunger this year again. They don't like being without titles. You know, they watched, they watched Kilkenny last year, obviously, and uh, I, I just think Cork will take it this year. Yeah, go to Marco Pet. And that concludes. And I just worry, before Sorry. we finish, just want to thank Joe as a teacher and That's an author tough. and a brilliant raconteur, a great man to tell stories and yarns. Savage and famous, Joe. Great appreciation again, and I hope all these players, listeners enjoyed. I'm sure they did enjoy it, the whole thing immensely. Well, we, we, tough all throughout, and we enjoyed it immensely here ourselves. I think it was great to sit back and, and, and take in all that information. And as I echoed uh, Pat Sintiman's uh, entirely joke, or Mila Mahagut. Pat, thanks to also for your 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 interviewing skills there tonight. Uh, uh, today, a very 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 good show. Thanks also to Jim Collins in the control tower. Without him, we wouldn't have a show. Thanks to you uh, for tuning in to us here today on Scarif Brave Community. As we said, we hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed the games of, of the weekend. And all that remains is for me, Leo Dial, for Sportsline, for Scarif Brave Community Radio. Until we meet again, it's Bannock Day, August Lawn. Mm-hmm.